You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show, visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 14 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. As always, I'm happy that you guys are joining us, and we get so excited to talk about these things, to talk about this narrative, and it's so great that you guys are joining us. What also would be great is if you take this time to like and subscribe and maybe even leave a written review on the platform you're listening to. Uh, we want to thank you guys because very recently, the past couple of weeks, we've seen a very big uptick in those written reviews. And that more than anything helps get the word out and helps through algorithms and AI and all that helps spread the podcast to a larger audience. Also, if you're going to subscribe, you always are going to have the knowledge of when a new episode drops on Tuesdays. So that's going to be a great thing for you. Speaking of knowledge, it's not always a good thing. Uh, knowledge can illuminate, but it could also just, it can go terribly wrong, right? Mm, as Adam and Eve are going to learn in today's yeah. episode. Way to set up the segue, Gandalf. Proud of you, brother. <laughs> Thank you. I learned from the best. That's <laughs> good. You learned from someone. Um, <laughs> yeah, so what's what's interesting is, you know, today we're going to deal with Genesis 3, 6 through 8. Um and you have this eye-opening experience, quite literally. It reminds me of when I got high-def TV. Uh, I was living in a church parsonage, and uh, the guy who was uh, installing my high-def TV, which I had never had high-def service before, he was not particularly religious. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, man, I know you're a holy man and all, so I'm not claiming to be Jesus Christ, but brother, I'm about to enlighten you. And there was this, you know, this wonderful illumination when he, when he connected that service, I saw TV a way I had never seen TV before. And it felt great in the moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, this feels more real than real life. Fast forward now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rapidly approaching middle age and I serve a church uh, that broadcasts its worship services and I'll watch the playback uh, of our services. And that same high def TV that was such a blessing earlier is now something of a curse because with the high def, you can see my hair line receding and my hair beginning to thin on top. So mm. knowledge cuts both ways, right? Mm. Nathan, I even had one of those experiences recently in the past few years. Uh, somebody let me put on their VR headset and experiencing virtual reality uh, at, for the first time. That was otherworldly. <laughs> It's just it's something that just opens your eyes to a whole new world that you didn't even know was there. See, I, I keep worrying that if I like put on one of those headsets, I'll trip and fall and die in the real world at the expense of at the expense of enjoying an imaginary one. <laughs> it's like the it's like the opposite of the Matrix, right? If you die in, in real life, you die in the game. That's completely opposite. <laughs> That's right. Uh, All right. So what verses are we covering today? Genesis chapter three and verses six through eight. Let's talk about this knowledge. All right, I'll read. Uh, and as a reminder to the listener, as always, we're reading from the ESV version of the Bible. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, 
She took of his fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Yeah, so this is, uh, again, this is the story where sin enters God's good created order. What's interesting to me is on the one hand, because this is the originating sin, right? Uh, because this is where things go bad. On the one hand, people take this very seriously. On the other hand, we, you know, we get so, um, we get so used to reading this in our English Bibles that it's easy to gloss over the significance of what's going on in this passage. I, you know, sometimes when I hear this passage discussed, it's like we have this Eden scene where it's a Better Homes and Gardens magazine, and someone takes a sharpie to it, and you know, just uh, blots out uh, all of the utopia of the scene. Um, but one thing that we've talked about, and I really want us to camp out on today, Matt was uh, opening my eyes to some of this, pun intended. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the things I want us to talk about today is over and over again in this story, in this narrative, you have so many indicators that just capture the cosmic significance of what's going on. Again, we're not just in a garden scene out of a magazine. This is the garden on the mountain where heaven meets earth. This is where the physical intersects with the spiritual. Um, and so you have so many phrases, uh, so many things in the text. You know, we've talked about trees and mountains and stuff, but you have even more than that in the text that says, this is not just an incident happening in the garden. There, There is a much more cosmic significance to what is happening. Uh, yeah, it's looking at the word open or opened. If you look in verse number five, uh, it says, your eyes will be opened. And verse number seven, it's then the eyes of both were opened. What's interesting is that verse is only found a couple of dozen times, if that, in the Old Testament, that word used in that verse, rather. And that w word is the Hebrew word, pakak. And it, it often refers to, in just that handful of times, the the idea of having your eyes opened to a spiritual reality. One of the most famous ones is when, for instance, the prophet Elisha is surrounded in the city of Dothan with his servant, and they are surrounded by the enemy. And Elisha is totally cool, but his servant is trembling and he's scared. And Elisha prays that God would pakak his eyes, that God would open his eyes, that it's this idea of something that was not previously seen is now, there is a new knowledge that is now gained. So that was a positive sense there in the story of Elisha. This new knowledge here in Genesis 3 is very much negative because we see that it leads to fear and hiding and uh, the story just spirals as we continue in Genesis chapter 3. This mm. is not what they had in mind, I'm assuming, when they took a bite out of that fruit. Correct. Yeah, they sought the fruit for, for knowledge, for something to help them become wiser. Uh, but instead, it stole their innocence. Yeah, that's mm. the interesting thing to me is how the serpent leads them 
astray. He tells them on the one hand exactly what's going to happen. God knows that if you eat of the fruit of this tree, your eyes will be opened, which is exactly what the text says happens in verse 7, right? Mm -hmm. He just doesn't tell them uh, whether the opening of their eyes would be a matter of illumination for the good or devastation for the bad. Yeah, Adam and Eve don't realize there's a kicker. Yeah, that well, they don't realize that God's prohibition was not for his protection. It was for their protection. Uh, you know what? That This whole story reminds me of a childhood movie that I watched. And we've been talking about cartoons on this podcast. I think of the story, the Disney one, Aladdin. Dude, well, Aladdin is not just for children. <laughs> so anyway, we're at the beginning of the movie. There's this cave of wonders and they're. They're trying, the, the evil character Jafar is trying to find somebody to go into the Cave of Wonders and retrieve the magic lamp. Well, they eventually come up with Aladdin, and Aladdin and his pet monkey Abu go into this Cave of Wonders, and they are told to touch nothing but the lamp. Jafar, and, by the way, who is a serpentine character in the... Oh, uh, yeah, uh, didn't... Oh, that's good. A, a, a deceiving shapeshifter. Uh, there it is. Go ahead. I think oh, he turns man. into a snake at the end. That's right. He, he does. He does. <laughs> man. But alas. Go uh, ahead. But uh, unfortunately, Adam and Eve did not have a magic carpet. But anyway, when Abu and Aladdin are going through the Cave of Wonders, what's interesting is that Abu's just a monkey, but he's personified, right? He's like human-like character. He is the one that grabs this, the forbidden treasure. And it's actually a booze transgression, so to speak, that causes the whole cave to come down. So it would be a mistake, as we're thinking about that, is that when God says don't touch it, he's not saying don't touch it so you don't break up my world. He's not saying don't touch it so you don't mess up this beautiful thing I've created. He's rather saying don't touch it. Because if you do, it will break you. And I think about that that scene in Aladdin where all the beautiful treasure then just becomes this nightmare of fire and brimstone because, you know, they are now broken by this uh, transgression. Yeah, what's what's certainly for me is it's, uh, you know, the opening of their eyes is not so much that they're seeing something different as much as they're seeing everything differently. I mean, Mm. look what happens in the span of these eight verses at the end of Genesis 2, you know, after mankind gets to be the last one speaking in creation, when Adam Adam celebrates his wife, uh, Genesis 2 closes, Genesis 2.25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We never associate nakedness with a lack of shame now, right? Uh, um, well, they certainly didn't in uh, Near Eastern culture. They certainly don't in Near Eastern culture. Uh, we we kind of well, get carried in, away in, in the West. Well, in fact, like... When you talk about nakedness and having no shame, like, for instance, just this Sunday in church, my two-year-old stood up on the stage after church and pulled her dress over her head and revealing, you know, her diaper. But she's like she's uh, innocent. One one of the ways, you know, over the years we've liked to get to know our, you know, church family better is having people uh, over to eat at our house, you know, cook some food. Uh, you know, and lazy pastors using cooking to justify office time. You know how all that works. <laughs> um, but especially when my kids were younger, I would warn people when they come over. I'd say, you know, warning, there's a 50% chance that my kids will be naked. They just haven't developed that sense of shame yet. Right? Exactly what you're talking about. Right. Um, now we're up to like a 25, we're down to a 25% chance of, you know, underclothed children. So we're getting there. 
Um, but it, it, it is so interesting for me that Genesis 2 ends naked and unashamed. And Genesis 3, as soon as their eyes are opened, their first impulse is to cover themselves and to hide. Mm. Um, that's that's so big. It's not seeing something different. It's seeing everything differently. Yeah. So it, it kind of like the TV show Naked and Afraid. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Pick up on that. But it's interesting. There's a show made about that, and it's it's almost made to be glamorous. You know, it's it's cashing in on the the fear. But the original Naked and Afraid was exactly that. It was a fearful, scary thing. Well, and I do, I do think this captures not to not to be too preachery about this, uh, but I do think this captures something about disobedience to God. Um, a lot of times we focus on sin, you know, the actual spiritual stain of what we've done. Um, but but on top of sin, there's always shame. So there's the substance of what we've done, but there's also the stigma, right? Uh, and the interesting thing is this shame, this this way of seeing themselves. Uh, this making of clothes for themselves and hiding, these are all things that Adam and Eve take the initiative to do before God even shows up. Mm. So also, they did not feel shame because they were innocent. There was a lack of knowledge. What's interesting, if you go later in the New Testament, especially when you're looking at Romans 1, people who sin, as it's talking about articulated there, those who sin do not feel shame because they have now suppressed knowledge. They've ignored their knowledge and excused away their sin. So, well, and, and Paul also talks about the darkening of their minds. Right. right. But it's, it's doing something. The knowledge is there. And it's either acknowledging but they don't it want to come to you lose with your it. innocence or it's suppressing it to just forge on into a darkened mind. That's, that's right. Um, yeah. Uh, what's so interesting for me, since you punted to the New Testament, you, uh, I'm glad you did that because I didn't want to ride the preacher wave too long without someone else speaking. What's so neat to me is um, in the New Testament, uh, look at Jesus going to the cross. What's one of the things that happens to Jesus uh, when he is put on display to be mocked and humiliated? When he goes yeah, to the clothes, cross to redeem his clothes us, are ripped off of him. that's it. They, they strip him of his clothes. He's on display for everyone to see. And it's also neat for me in the resurrection um, that he leaves his burial clothes behind in the tomb. And surprise, surprise, in the Gospel of John, he's uh, ironically confused for being a gardener. <laughs> mm. uh, Eden, anyone, right? Hey, Nathan, there's another thing out of Genesis 3, though, another word that is worth pointing out, and that is the word new and how it is used. It's interesting when that shows up again. In verse number 7, so the eyes, then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. So that word knew, it's interesting, shows up again in Genesis chapter four, when it talks about Adam knowing his wife. Of course, it's talking about sexual intimacy. Uh, so it's this idea that this knowledge is very personal, that this knowledge of their nakedness is something that is felt this shame that is is something that is felt spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Well, and and it's neat. You have the you you uh, actually pointed this out to me. You go from the use of new, which is from the Hebrew verb yada, in verse seven. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. 
And then down in 22, you have the noun form of that verb, uh, da'eth, um, which is, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing, right? Uh, good. Uh, well, I said the noun form, I meant the infinitive um, form of that verb, knowing good and evil. And it's right after this, now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Right before that, the man calls his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. So what's interesting, so opens uh, this knowledge, you know, they knew that they were naked in verse seven. Then uh, she gets named Eve uh, w once she has this knowledge. So she becomes a sinner before she becomes a mother, right? And then chapter four, Adam knew his wife, and this is when she conceived and bore Cain. We often treat Cain and Abel together, but it's so important to me that it uses new in conjunction of Cain. Why? Because he will become the murderous brother. The same knowledge that opens their eyes to how they see each other, something to be covered, has this, this, this sin potential that in the course of one generation takes us from cheating on our diet to brother killing brother. So another thing out of this passage is also taking a look at what and how it took place. This was not just Eve, you know, trying the fruit and Adam was off, you know, at the job. Playing site. hopscotch. Right. They, they are, they are there. And Adam is, is definitely passive when he's been told to be active because Adam was given the command. So, we did mention, in fact, when we were talking about this episode, is it sinful for a man or woman, for that matter, to be passive in their God-given roles? I don't know that it's, it's, it's sinful, but it just opens the door for disaster. Hey, also, Matt, you, you, know, you, you mentioned the passive stuff. Uh, what's interesting is you know, we're doing a little bit of speculation because the text doesn't really tell us what's going on with Adam while Eve is having the conversation with the servant or why he would follow up after her. Uh, first of all, allowing her to eat from the fruit of the tree and why he would follow up by eating of it himself. One of the reasons that's so interesting to me is in Genesis chapter two, God doesn't give the commandment to Eve. She's not around yet. He gives the commandment directly to Adam. Um, and a big point of discussion, uh, you know, we associate uh, sin with death. Sin is the, you know, the curse of sin is death. Um, it's interesting how that's worded for me in, in uh, Genesis 2, 17 in the Hebrew. Uh, God says, for on the day that you eat from it, literally in Hebrew, dying, you will begin to die. It's an infinitive absolute followed by an imperfect verb, which I know gives all of our listeners all the feels, but it's essentially introducing action. But dying, dying you will begin to die. But dying, but you at, will begin to die. To me, just hearing it in English sounds like, oh, wait a second. That means I'm being cut off from something. Yeah. And, and, and uh, again, this is in the context with, you know, God giving them all the trees of the garden to eat of and putting this one tree off limits not to eat from. Look at how it plays out in real time in Genesis 3. Uh, Adam's there with Eve. It's almost like he's watching passively, right? He sees her eat, but when she eats, what doesn't happen? She doesn't die. She, 
she doesn't die. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, yeah, maybe this is not so bad after all. So he likewise takes and he eats. But how is death introduced? It's this word that we come back to again and again, knowledge. How is death introduced? Uh, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. You go from there to, to Genesis 4, 1, uh, that Adam knew Eve. And the first time he knows her in that sense, who does she become pregnant with? Cain. Cain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we usually lump Cain and Abel together, but it, it, it focuses that the first time Adam knew Eve after Genesis 3, 7, she had Cain. And what will Cain do? Yeah, he'll become he will commit a the first murderer. That's it. A destroyer. Um, yeah. So Eve becomes a sinner before she becomes a mother. And it's interesting, right after it mentions her being named Eve because she's the mother of all living, right after that is where you have in Genesis 3.22 that God puts them out of the garden so that they can't do what? They eat so that the they can't eat from the tree of life and live forever. So you have a passive... Death passively enters the picture because they no longer have access to this tree, and it actively enters the picture because this knowledge of evil um, takes us from cheating on our diet to brother killing brother in the span of one generation. I think that's pretty substantial. Mm. The, this, this behavior that Adam is doing, talking about, you know, he's just waiting and seeing what happens when Eve eats the of the fruit. It reminds me of, you know, if you're, we're driving down the Natchez Trace that's here in Mississippi, and any Mississippi drivers, you'll know about what I'm talking about here. It, it's very common late at night that you will almost slam straight into uh, a doe, right? A female deer. And then somewhere Ray, over a the drop tree of line. Golden sun. Couldn't, couldn't <laughs> I knew it. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but then all, all over in the tree line somewhere, what do you see? You see a buck who's hiding. Right. He's waiting to see if, if it's fine. So it's just ironic to me that Adam's sitting here basically making his wife a guinea pig. That reminds mm. me of a that reminds me of a non-biblical proverb. You know, the, the early worm gets the uh, the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. Yep. Going along with what you've just said, by their eyes being opened and they realize, oh, my goodness, I'm naked. And it, rather, it's not even I'm naked. It's we are naked because then it switches to the plural. Then the eyes were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It is a group effort. And the idea of sewing here as it's used, it's only used 10 other times, I believe. Uh, no, it's not even that. I think it's four. four it's times. like four. It's four. Yeah, it's four times in the rest of the Bible. It's No, it's, I think it's four times, including this one. Yeah. It's not so a lot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a lot, but in each situation it carries with it a tedious activity it's not like they just grab some fig leaves you know covered their privates they are making an attempt to the best of their ability to cover their nakedness that they now have as the result of this newfound knowledge so Mm. they are exercising common sense like i i don't think this is here acknowledging any kind of wrongdoing this is not repentance this is, oh my goodness, I've just messed up. I need to go and tell my dad or my mom. This is this is trying to hide the mess up. This is trying to hide. This is not conviction. This is just common sense. And this is like, hey, I, I need to get out of the limelight here because I'm exposed. So I'm looking here at the last verse that we're looking at right now, talking about they hear God coming, walking in the, in the garden. And 
it makes sense. Their actions make sense to me that they're very, they're, you know, they're trying to cover up because they know that God's showing up. And it makes me think to my childhood and how there's no sound more sobering than the sound of the garage door coming up and your mom is pulling into the garage and you haven't done any of the stuff that she has asked you to do. Like that chicken is still in the freezer and <laughs> Mar- you know that it's <laughs> marriage going works that way sometimes too. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it makes I'm me calling. think of that Johnny Cash song when the man comes around, you know. <laughs> mm. So, I, I think there's one other theme that we can pick up here is, and this is dipping into a little bit of what is to come. But now that mankind, man and woman, have their nakedness has been exposed and it's produced shame, even though their attempts to cover it is not going to work we're going to find out quickly that god's attempt to cover them does work god god covers them with grace he's going to make them animal skins and we're going to look at that but if we were to tie it backwards it's just neat how all this fits together we talked in previous episodes about the devil being a spiritual being stuff like that that there was something about what the devil possessed Remember, you want to be like me. That made them want, they desired the knowledge that gave this certain glory to the serpent. They desired that glory, whatever that was. And what's interesting is that, you know, everything falls to pieces. They're uncovered, and then God covers them with grace. But if you move forward in the story, if you move forward in the story to the New Testament, is that ultimately Adam and Eve are going to be covered with glory. The thing that they were desiring for the wrong reason, God is going to give them in a more glorious way than they could possibly have even dreamed. And in receiving that glory, it's going to undo all of the bad that has led up to that point. Yeah, I would say uh, seeking for the wrong reason and from the wrong source. Right. God will give to them what the serpent never could. So that, that's, a, that's a spoiler warning that I can get behind right there. Right. We, we know that it's it's all going to work out ultimately. So there was an old preacher I used to listen to, and he, he used to say this. He said, listen, the devil pays, but he pays in counterfeit bills. Mm. And with God... God's gifts are irrevocable, unchangeable, unperishing. They last forever. Well, on that note, guys, that seems like a good place to end this podcast. Thank you guys for recording this alongside me every week. I appreciate it. And thank you, listener, for continuing to hear how this story unfolds every single week. Remember, subscribe, and you're going to have that good knowledge, not that Satan knowledge. We're going to have that good knowledge when the podcast comes out every week. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Shalom. When the man comes around, hear the trumpets, hear the pipers, 100 million angels singing, multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum, voices calling, voices crying, some are born and some are dying. It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come.